Mary Daly had taken over as president of the Federal Reserve Branch in San Francisco on October 1st of 2018. A couple weeks later, one of her first appearances, one of her first speeches, she could not help but gush over the state of the U.S. economy, in particular, employment. She said the labor market is booming. It's beyond almost anyone's measure of full employment, which to central bankers, at least the modern day central bankers that we have nowadays, that's a real big deal. The BLS had just reported that job openings or the purported demand for labor was at an all time high, record high level of job opening. The unemployment rate had tumbled to a 50 year low, less than 4%, I think it was down to 3.7% by the time Mary Daly was talking in October of 2018. And remember, these modern-day central bankers work on a Phillips curve method of inflation. Therefore, they thought tight employment, labor shortage, therefore inflation, meaning the Federal Reserve would have to be aggressively in rate, in rate hikes in order to continue to manipulate expectations so to keep inflation low. So all by all accounts, the Fed was going to have to become to stay aggressive as it, as it claimed to be in 2018, if not get more aggressive into 2019. I mean, look at job openings, look at the unemployment rate, look at a couple months later. By January of 2019, just a two and a half months after Mary Daly spoke in October, the Federal Reserve had committed to pausing interest rates. And they would never, they would not hike again that cycle. In fact, within six months after that pause, the Fed was cutting rates. Where did this labor market boom go, go to? Where did it go? Where did it, what happened to it? What was going on in late 2018 was really the same mistakes the Federal Reserve and those mainstream economists who worked there commit time and time and time again. Because they don't understand the way the monetary and economic system truly work, they're always focused on the wrong numbers, unable to see events as they're unfolding. And the biggest error they always commit, they ignore the warning signs in these various markets. Because as Mary Daly was talking, a lot of those warnings and markets were right then unfolding. In particular, Eurodollar futures curve inversion, which was at that time becoming more serious. And even something like the oil futures curve, WTI can tango had shown up as Mary Daly was talking. Markets proved to be correct. The data that the Federal Reserve was relying on proved to be unreliable yet again. And events unfolded in the way that markets had predicted, not according to the labor market is booming. It wasn't booming, and nor was the economy. Now, the Federal Reserve is, is Everything is lining up in 2022, now 2023, for all these same, same mistakes to be made. We've got markets and data piling in, in one direction, and the narrow slice of, of especially labor market statistics that the Federal Reserve follow, maybe something else going on there. And of course, the Fed is going to rely on the one set at the expense of everything else. The growing catalog of evidence which suggests not just a downturn, not just maybe heading toward recession, but maybe we're already in one. 
we'll get to all this stuff, including what what we the latest updates across the world, across the economic world, in a minute. First, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. If you're interested, we have memberships available with exclusive video content where we go behind the data, we go behind the mainstream, we get into the nitty gritty details that central modern central bankers avoid. We're not afraid to dive deep into the monetary reality of the euro dollar system, including research subscriptions that are available. We have a new sale at Markets Insider Pro. I contribute a daily briefing to that. It's a bundle with Stephen Van Meter's Momentum Timer Pro and Tracy Shukart's Materials and Energy Weekly, important stuff. And of course, the deep dive analysis, which as the name suggests, we go deep into the details, into the theory, into the history behind real economics, not the stuff that's practiced in the mainstream or at these fake Federal Reserve central bankers. All of the information you need available at eurodollar.university. And we left off yesterday talking about Germany's CPI and talking about Germany's CPI for a reason, because it suggested that if inflation, not inflation, but inflation in Europe had started, the pressures there had started to come down, that would be a meaningful shift in economic circumstances, not just for Europe and, and not just for Germany and Europe, but for the rest of the world. Because where has the supply shock had the biggest impact? particularly Europe, particularly Germany. But there was that one thing that we talked about yesterday, the government payment for the government assistance for heating and natural gas bills, which maybe made this the Germany CPI, the decline in the monthly monthly uh, change for December. Maybe that was unreliable because of this one off factor. Well, this morning we get the CPI from France. France did not have an energy assistance program. This was also consumer prices for the month of December. And guess what happened in France? Consumer prices unexpectedly declined month over month in December. Now the CPI was only down 0.1%, but still expectations were three to four percent, three to four tenths of a percent increase. Instead, French CPI slightly lower on a monthly basis. Yeah, it's only one monthly bait. It's only one month. It's only one country, but it looks it's it's in the same kind of it's in the same spectrum now as Germany. It's in the same category as the U.S. CPIs that we've seen last couple of U.S. CPIs. More and more evidence pointing toward consumer price pressures around the world coming back down, and that raises the question that we asked yesterday. Why? Is it because central banks have been effective with their rate hikes and in slowing down a red-hot economy and putting it on a more normal, less inflationary footing? Or are we seeing the downside of the supply shock where the tremendous rush of consumer prices, particularly energy, simply destroyed so much demand and recession, maybe even a nasty one, was inevitable? Toward that end, we got some new data today in the United States. In fact, it's one of the biggest ones, the, the ISM's manufacturing report, the, the, the original, the granddaddy of all of these PMIs that have now proliferated across the economic landscape. The ISM's not good for December. The headline was 48.4 down from 49, which is the lowest since 2020. New orders in particular, one that we always focus on. The new orders index, 
45.2, down from 47.2 in November. Now, 45.2 outside of 2020, that would have been the lowest since March of 2009. Orders are falling at a rate that we haven't seen, again, outside of 2020 since the Great Recession. So manufacturing in the U.S., another survey suggesting recession. And here's the big one, too. Not just new orders, but also prices paid. Inflation, so-called. Prices paid index for the ISM, 39.4. Lowest since April of 2020. Businesses in the manufacturing sector overall say that they are cutting prices or they're receiving lower prices for inputs. Why? Because demand has fallen off and fallen off sharply. Not only do we have prices falling, we've got new orders falling, and it's not just the ISM. S&P Global, we've talked about that before. The S&P Global, the view of the manufacturing sector from S&P Global is even worse. Their PMI for December confirmed at 46.2. So we see the manufacturing sector in the United States struggle, but it's not just manufacturing in the US. We've talked about imports, imports into the US collapse because of the inventories. Exports out of China similarly collapse because of lack of demand in the US as well as Europe. But it's not just it's not just manufacturing either. We see the services data start to tumble. Uh, especially S&P Global. We'll get the ISM's update, which has been the laggard as far as is staying uh, on the high side. That'll come out in a couple of days. But we also hear from service sector providers how, how terrible the economy is looking. In fact, they're looking to cut more and more of their workforce, which I'll give you another example of that later. So the list of data by the day, by the week, by the month, would suggest at the very least economic problems continues to grow. And not only does that list grow, the items on that list become even more blatant about what they're suggesting. And what they're suggesting is not an economy that's transitioning from red hot to stable and normal. They're, they're suggesting an economy that was questionable at best, and now is becoming more and more indicative of a serious recessionary circumstance. That's why we see consumer prices declining. That's why we see sentiment data declining. And now we're starting to get more and more of the hard data to confirm what sentiment and everything else has said. But, but the Federal Reserve doesn't seem to care about any of these things. As the, again, as the list grows of recession indications, the Fed continues to say, we're gonna continue to hike rates because we're not convinced that consumer price pressures have been alleviated. We're certainly not gonna say that, that, that they have been because of a contraction. What they're, what they're contending is that the economy is, as Jay Powell has said all along, no more than a soft landing. Maybe a little bumpy along the way, but by and large, they're going to get us out of inflation, what they think is inflation, dangers to inflation expectations, into a stable economic environment. And one of the reasons they believe those two things, again, inflation pressures and a stable economic environment, is the labor market data, that, the very labor market data 
that Mary Daly and Jerome Powell were highlighting at the end of 2018. Because not only did we get the ISM numbers today, we also got jolts. We got the job openings data. And job openings have been absolutely astronomical, according to the BLS, over the last year and a half, almost two years now. And even though the level of job openings, according to the BLS, has declined from the peak earlier this year, there's still 10.5 million, which is 50% more than, when, than what got Mary Daly gushing in October of 2018. Is there really 50% more labor demand today than there was in 2018? Well, according to the BLS, maybe there is. But as we saw in 2018, the JOLTS data was unreliable. It was not a good, good enough representation of the actual condition of the underlying labor market, therefore economy, nor was the unemployment rate. In fact, we look at the rest of the, the, the JOLTS history during these cycles, what we see is the same problem repeat. And as I talked about in a recent video, I think at the end of November, when we last got the JOLTS data, some other economists have started to say the JOLTS data, I mean, the job openings, the, the whole methodology, it seems to be flawed because it does not align with what we see across the rest of the economy. And that's really the point that we're, we need to emphasize here over and over and over again. The Fed looks at these narrow slices of data, the ones that make it look the best, by the way, job openings through the roof, an unemployment rate at a 50-year low, the Fed can smile and say, we did that. We created the economic circumstances that led to this economic boom, as they were talking about in 2018, only to lead the, the public into a state of utter confusion when just two and a half months later, they said, we can't hike rates anymore. What happened to that labor market boom? Maybe it didn't exist outside of the BLS data. And the BLS data is much broader than that too. If we look at, again, as we always say, the household survey versus the establishment survey, for example. The establishment survey is highly statistically smooth, which makes it somewhat questionable at times like this, whereas the household survey, more noisy, more volatile on a high-frequency basis, yet tells us maybe something a little more important, a little more representative, a little more accurate picture of what's going on in the labor market. So the point is, don't get locked into one or two numbers, which the Fed always does. It looks at the numbers that tell it what it wants to hear and excludes everything else. And as I said, that list of everything else grows by the week, by the day even. We've got num numerous data reports, numerous anecdotes that tell us the economy has slid off toward the cliff, if not off a cliff. Let's talk about one more. I mean, this is an important one. A service economy provider just recently said, we're going to cut 10% of our workforce. And its workforce is the company's sales force, which happens to be services to businesses. And what they're talking about in terms of businesses in the United States, around the rest of the world, the, this is the co-CEO, Mark Benioff. The environment remains challenging and our customers are taking a more measured approach to their purchasing decisions. Well, maybe that's not too bad. Maybe that's not necessarily a recession. But then he says, as our revenue accelerated through the pandemic, 
We hired too many people leading into this economic downturn we're now facing, and I take responsibility for that. And that taking responsibility means cutting 10% of the, ent the entire company's workforce of 75,000 workers. They're not alone. This isn't just manufacturing. This is active job cutting in the service sector, despite what it says about labor demand from the BLS or the unemployment rate, likewise from the BLS. Numbers that in the past have been unreliable are being relied upon again to, to come up with the wrong picture of the U.S. and global economy. The U.S. and global economy are in serious trouble. And we can see that by a number of things, not just this growing catalog of data. The markets, like in 2018, are telling us that things are going the wrong direction. I've talked about the German curve, which epic, historic, uncharted inversions there. We've got the U.S. Treasury curve inversion, which after taking a break during the Christmas and New Year's holidays, is back with a vengeance in the first couple of day, trading days of January. WTI Contango, one that we continue to point to for very good reason, because especially in 2022 and 2023, the supply picture hasn't really changed. Yet we have Contango, which rewards taking supply from the marketplace and putting it into storage for future use. Reflection of both money and demand in trouble. So when you look at the job openings and you look at the unemployment rate, you're Mary Daly in 2018 saying we need to aggressively hike rates only to be surprised in a couple months when you stop hiking rates and start cutting them. If you look at all the rest of the global data, put it together, and take a broad enough survey of data, of stories, of anecdotes, hard and soft data, and markets, what they're all telling you is that we're in serious trouble. Trouble that gets deeper all the time. I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, check out memberships. Huge thank you to Eurodollar University members, almost 800 of them nowadays as well as all of our research subscribers. Can't thank you enough for that. Information at eurodollar.university. Till next time, take care.